What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. But every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. The hollow earth, UFOs, aliens invading. Fluoride in the water, they spray our skies daily. When I talk about these things, they think I'm crazy. There's no escaping anymore, the evil that we're facing. Illuminati might control the sacrificing babies. The end of days, but anyways, my family thinks I'm crazy. What, they don't want to listen to you? They don't want to listen. They don't want to hear it. They're just like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with you. Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know. If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark Palmer. With me today, my co-host, my girlfriend, Tara. And this was a fantastic conversation with the galactic consciousness herself, Aurora, better known by her flying rainbow lasagna concept, art, music. It's really the whole package Brought to you by the Galactic Consciousness. And this conversation went all over the place. In all the good places. We talked about Atlantis. We talked about time, consciousness, reality. And overall, how to do the flying rainbow lasagna dance. Physically, mentally, and spiritually. And if you want to see Aurora break it down Go over to the Patreon, sign up, and you can see the video for this episode. Uh, without further ado, enjoy this song by Aurora. You can have the corrective experience. You can say, last time I was in the car, smashed, but this time I got in the car and we drove safely to our destination. That is my goal in being here as a flying rainbow lasagna to speak to the people of this time and place. In this other pristine world, the car crashed. There was admittedly a horrible trauma. And you guys can see my face. I don't know if your audio, your audience is an audio audience, but I make a real face of that trauma. I experienced it. You experienced it. It was devastating, or it is about to be devastating. It is devastation is a more accurate time, time language term. It is devastation, and I acknowledge that because what we are experiencing here is the response to that. People are very afraid 
afraid of death, afraid of cataclysm, afraid of time looping. I know so many very awake people. When I talk to them about things, they're like, oh my God, like, are they gonna reset reality? Are we gonna go through another time loop? What's gonna happen? Is this set? And that's when I say, you're in a time conflict. The time conflict means that someone who is not advanced being, like a very unadvanced, immature, or group civilization being, has gained the tools to be able to do things like run time in reverse, erase time, overlay time. Like I call it this, I call it photoshopping time. Because you guys know what Photoshop is like. If you take a picture and you might not look that good, but you put it into Photoshop and you can add a layer that just takes away that ugly thing that you don't want to be there. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark. With me for the first night is our new co-host, Tara. Tara, how are you tonight? Blessed. So awesome. And I'm feeling the same way because our guest tonight is truly interdimensional, (laughs) multidimensional. I mean, unlike any person I've spoken to before, and I'm really honored to have her here, Aurora, please tell us how you are. Tell us about yourself. Tell us when this journey started, because you already got me going. I'm so excited to learn more. So without further ado, take it away. Thank you so much for this beautiful introduction. Thank you for inviting me to join you on the podcast today. I'm always happy and excited to have like um, an, an, an opportunity to introduce these ideas to like a, a fresh group of people or who may not know about it or might only know about it tangentially. It's literally my mission or purpose to be less like, you know, military or whatever. I'm not a military person at all, but like my goal or my artistic mission here in this world, you know, earth or this realm, it's sharing the concept of this shape that I name the flying rainbow lasagna. And the shape has an origin story, which is why I bring up my personal experience, because in order for you to make good use of this and know what it is and know how to apply it to your own journey, it benefits you to know, why did I make this? Where did it come from? What are the circumstances out of which it arose? Because it was definitely like uh, necessity is Frank Zappa and the mothers of uh, invention. You know what I'm talking about. I had to do it. So the circumstances are, and I will also tell you this context, as I describe it, relates to all of you, that there is an ongoing, we call it cosmic battle or time war, for lack of a better word, even though I try not to use the military words in military language, but there is a struggle, it's an ongoing conflict or struggle. It is the struggle for consciousness to expand and unfold and become more and more refined and more and more, let's say, focused and divinely connected. And then there are the inhibitors, the inhibiting factors that have been stopping, preventing, or delaying that consciousness unfoldment and amplification. And I call myself a walk-in and I categorize myself as a galactic walk-in. It's not my word. I didn't initially come here 
and say like, hello everyone, I'm Aurora, I'm a walk-in. Like I didn't have that descriptive term. In fact, I had very little earth human English language descriptive terms and part of the circumstances of me walking in or coming into this body is that the, the first person who lived in this body, who's first of all, good person, did not deserve to die, like a decent, lovely, good person was killed and murdered or was in the process of being killed. And you're like, wait, this is very off-putting because immediately Aurora, you're talking to me like, how can you be dead? How can you be talking to me? I faced this a lot in initially sharing my story, you know, it, my origin story coming here to earth, like came in in 2001, in the beginning of October, and it was right in the aftermath of 9-11. And I used to walk up to people and introduce myself and say, I'm Aurora, I'm a dead person. And they were very shocked and horrified. So I had to learn like this descriptive term does not work. And someone eventually gave me a book called ET 101, The Handbook. After I described to them my experience and who I am and what I am as a cognitive presence, like, oh, wait, this sounds like something I read about in this book. And um, it was years later that I got this information and describe the term walking. So that is what I use. But then I've also had to learn that there's all sorts of different types of walk-ins. Some people have an actual metabolic death, which means like your heart rate has stopped, or your breathing has stopped, or there is something biological that is meaning you're no longer being propelled through time and your personality is no longer like, I'm moving my hand across the screen, like flying on a trajectory through time like an airplane flies in the sky. And not every person who is saying or, or who has had the walking experience or claims that experience has had that. Some, not everybody has to have like either a, a surgery gone awry or a car accident. And I want to make that clear because I don't want any of you or your listeners or anybody who you share this with, I don't want you to think that you have to die or be destroyed biologically in order to reach your greatness. And I have to say this because I'm here on this earth where there is a whole religion about we worship this great person who was destroyed as part of the religion. You know, I'm talking about Christianity, no judgment in how I'm describing this, but I'm understanding the cultural filter and the context through which I share my message that there is um, an idea of saying it is noble and good to be destroyed and to die and the necessity of it. And I'm coming from a different direction of saying that really, your gift in your birthright is eternal life and that you're not supposed to have to die. So it's a big part of my teaching. And the death of the person that was in this body and living this life, not only is death unfair on the general scale, like technically death is against the cosmic law. And I'll describe all of this to you with words, but you guys have to understand that like, um, like Mark and Tara, you can see my shirt and like what is in my studio. I draw these really intricate, line drawings that are like diagrams of time or maps of time. And that is really the, the real language or the real description for how these things are happening on an abstract level. So I might be describing to you cosmic law and say something is or isn't against cosmic law, but that's like your math teacher saying to you with your words, like this problem is incorrect, I say it with your words. In the cosmos at large, it's much more like a math problem. Like if one plus one equals five is incorrect, the cosmos puts a big giant red X on there. And it's like, no, 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 that does not stand. Or you could think of it as structural integrity. Like if you're an architect and you're building a building and you have struts and various um, forms of lumber, they're supposed to fit together at perfect angles and have a structural integrity and hold up the entire thing. And they don't, if there's gaps. And then the building inspector comes and says, this building will not stand. There are gaps. This whole thing is going to fall down in two minutes. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about cosmic law. So there was a structural defect in the application of cosmic law that was allowing for the death of this body and the person that was here. A 
great unfairness. Like I said, death is unfair and not supposed to happen all over. But in this particular case, it was very unfair that it wasn't because she was dying from a disease or any kind of particular thing like that. It was really what you would call a psychic attack or a targeted weaponry attack. And uh, again, when I first came into this body, I didn't really have the way to describe what had happened in terms of the attack, but I knew it was an energy weapon and that the energy weapon caused you know, actual physical structures to change in my brain. Now you guys can understand more in light of things that they're calling the Havana syndrome. And now it is more understood targeted individuals that basically you're in a frequency war, for lack of a better word, a struggle, a frequency war, that there, there is a conflict that is going on. The conflict does not only include this little earth zone, it's everywhere, all up and down the ladder of consciousness. And it's the type of war or combat or struggle that takes place not with projectile like weapons, not with a bullet or an arrow or a rocket that flies through the air. It is done with frequency. And the frequency is, it is like sine waves, the shape of you know S or C shaped waves. And um, electromagnetism would be the earth objective materialist science descriptive term of what level of reality we're talking about. But consciousness also is encompassed by that idea of the electromagnetic spectrum. So everything that is this invisible frequency, it is invisible to your eye, yet it is perceptible to you. Like for an example, the emo any emotion, happiness, sadness, joy, whatever, wretched horror, it's all in, in a frequency. You can experience it. I'm sure we have all felt some of these feelings at different times. It's a very real thing, but you don't see it with your eyeballs. Like I don't see the frequency of joy with my eyeballs, but I can certainly feel it or sense it in others. So we're talking about type of conflict that all of humanity right now, all life on earth is submerged in this conflict. That what I, I came in, like I said, in 2001, as part of this ongoing conflict that is happening at higher multidimensional levels, it's not just trickle down to here, it's trickle up from here because the events and activities that happen in this embodied or incarnated form ripple outward and they project forward into the future and then also retroactively, retroactive causality, ripple backwards into the past. So I say this because I wanna affirm to anyone who's alive, who's listening here, who's an experiencer on earth, Please don't think of yourself as like, oh, we're just like these stupid little backwater idiots, hicks in the valley, and we don't know what's going on, and our lives and jobs and experiences mean nothing. No, 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 no. Far from the opposite of that. That is what brings me to my journey coming in, that I've sensed in the murder of this woman done through frequency tools that are against cosmic law, a great injustice. And I, as a galactic scale being, decided to do something about it. And that's big because there are many galactic scale beings, like imagine a giant, uh, whatever, a galaxy, a planet, a star, a nova. There are many that aren't active in that way. They won't necessarily intervene. It takes a lot to be like, it's like if you see a child in danger and you're like, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to take you home with me. I'm going to feed you oatmeal and turn you into my kid. Um, and I don't want to make light of it in any way, but I felt as uh, invested in my decision to become into our human body as that. Like, you know what I'm talking about? It's a real invested decision to say, I'm coming from the level of pure abstraction where there is not the sense of being a man or a woman, a male or a female. There is even not that much of a sense of being individuated. And I say, I come from a collective of consciousness. 
And but I don't want you to get too stuck on my collective because it's just like saying inside of me I have many personality characteristics. So Aurora, here, like I'm standing in front of you. I'm a woman. I have arms and legs. You can see that, right? Um, I have a personality, and my personality is made up of very, very different characteristics, and all of them create the Aurora flavor. That is what my collective or where my consciousness originates from is like. And it's like a band or a symphony that is made up of diverse players and characters from all, all throughout the cosmos, all sorts of different scale of beings, like from the tiniest microscopic being to the largest, grandest being, different experiences of time, different ways of communicating, little high piccolos and deep, deep trombones are all in the symphony, the symphony of life. And um, me as Aurora, like I'm the conglomerate of all of that. I'm like, yeah, my music or who I am as a musician, I'm all of that stuff. And what I did was distilled or focused the everythingness of Aurora the Collective down through this energy portal that I created called the Flying Rainbow Lasagna into this woman's body in the moment of death. It was a very, very great unlikelihood. Like the type of thing that is so unbelievably unlikely, almost verging on impossible, that no one would ever think that it could be done. But I did it. And that's important because that is what the shape exemplifies. The flying rainbow lasagna shape exemplifies, let's say, uh, from, from science fiction, infinite improbability drive, from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like, mm. press the big red button and anything can happen. It's that type of a tool. Or let's say the, the Green Lantern's ring of manifestation. You know, and of course, I've studied Earth's pop culture. I did not come here knowing these things. Um, I've intentionally looked for the common language that I can use, analogies that I can use. So it's the idea of flying rainbow lasagna is a tool that I used in that moment to manifest the rectification of that unfair, ungood situation. And I've used it continually since then in order to inhabit my body, which was very, very, um, you know, uh, a lot of brain damage and technically should not have been inhabitable. Like that's another technical impossibility that I do every day. That I'm clearly here, standing, walking, talking, doing all this stuff. I have a lot of neurological damage that's like, oh, technically that's not possible. But what I do is I use this flying rainbow lasagna shape, infinite improbability to do things that are unlikely every day. That's what I say on the, on the anthropomorphic or human level. On the math or pure energy level, what I do is I bounce my thought signals out of my earth encapsulated body through flying rainbow lasagna into let's call it the cloud. I do my thinking in the cloud, got it? So imagine if your desktop had some kind of a bug or a jiggly wire, didn't work quite properly. Like, don't worry, I really use my desktop for its keyboard and its mouse and its, uh, its, its uh, video station here. But I do most of my data processing and recording and everything that I'm doing in the cloud. That would be like saying my cosmic presence. So my earth presence has a lot of difficulties. I had a lot of difficulties moving my arms and legs, moving to the right side of my body, like all those types of things were a big challenge. But um, through doing this flying rainbow lasagna dance and let's say um, healing maneuver with DNA, I've been able to change and heal my body. All of this, I know this is a lot about me, 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 like as a person, and I share my journey openly because I really want people to understand that things that formerly were not possible are now possible. That it used to be, if this is going to happen, then like you're going to die. But that doesn't have to be your truth. And I live that truth, or let's say, well, if this is going to happen, that's fine. But then like, you're never going to do this. You're never going to do this. You never do that. There becomes a way to do it. And the analogy or template that I would like you to do is please apply it to your own life. 
as the possibilities for profound healing, please apply it to your own DNA in thinking, you know, you have this potential inside of you to live as a pure free being without the need for any technology. And how can that be achieved? Like most of us have this great need for technology. And also I want to make sure, like I know I run on and on and on. If you have any questions, please make sure. Thank you so much. I know I never tend to do that, but I'm just like an iPod. Like if you just press go, I just keep going and then whatever. Um, um, and also let me just pause and drink a little bit of water now. Yeah, please. I mean, you're, you're just hitting us with so much information. I am A, blown away, in love, B, and C, so eager to hear more. Thank you. And so much love back to you, truly love and appreciation back to you. Um, the whole idea is that the discrepancies in human DNA right now, they have kept humans very limited. You guys are supposed to have godlike powers. I hesitated to use the word godlike because really you are divine extensions. You're not even supposed to be separate from God. You are God. And when I say that through the filters of earth ego, earth human ego, earth human religion, all these things, I mean, I hear people's resistance when I say a simple phrase that to me is like the foundation of where we're coming from, like you are God, but that I hear that through all these things where you're like, well, technically no, Jesus is the son of man and then all these things and we have to reach through God through him and all this and that. I understand. I didn't come here again. Like I didn't come here knowing about the Green Lantern ring. And I didn't come here knowing about Earth's religious psychopath knowledge. So I've done a self-education. Just like if you moved to a foreign culture and you had to learn, like, why do people bow down like this every Friday and burn incense? You have to learn why they do that. So I learned the mentality behind Christianity and many other Earth religions, although I'm definitely not an expert, especially not religious of the Far East. So don't quiz me. But I learned enough so that I could speak well through the cultural filter of what I'm trying to get across, that each one of us contains within us this divine uh, potential or blueprint or whatever you want to say for having an immortality body and an immortality experience. And I wanted to be sure to talk to everyone on this broadcast, tell you what life was like in what is known as Atlantis, what is really, it's not an ancient time, it's a concurrent time. I want to tell each one of you that's listening, you're alive here now in this time place, but there's another concurrent layer of reality, like an overlay. Like I'm putting both of my hands together, like my left hand and my right hand are praying together right now. And one hand is this world, this room that we're in, and the world of, you know, Wi-Fi and electricity and all of this low-tech, high-tech. And then there's another world that's a a concurrent world that this world knows as Atlantis, but it's, it's not dead and gone. It's concurrent and you're there at the same time. You live there and that is a world of high, high technology, not like what what people here would call Tesla technology. So this was, uh, again, considered an ancient time from this perspective, but it is an ongoing time. And you live there and you live here at the same time. And that place is suffering a planetary invasion. And this place is suffering a planetary invasion as well. So the rectification, sometimes people think like, okay, or let's say this, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around so much. The linear viewpoint is to say, first Atlantis lived, Atlantis died, everyone got reincarnated, now we all live here now. That I understand and respect the linear viewpoint. However, it's limited and it comes from limited perspective. When you jump off the surface of time, then you no longer see reincarnation as a linear event. And that's where I'm describing to you from that perspective. So you live there at the same time that you live here. That place is being um, invaded and effed up at the same time that this place is being invaded and effed up. The friends 
and the, the social relationships that you have and the themes of those relationships that you have in the ancient world is overlaid with this world. There are beautiful, I mean, if you just look at it in terms of beauty, like, wow, look at the beautiful interweavings of all these like very, very crisis situations and horrible tragedies, but interwoven very beautifully throughout, uh, across many you know, dimensional layers of your existence. But when you really like, in, in, if I'm not scaling back, I'm just marveling at the beauty and intricacy of it, when you get down to um, you know, boots on the ground, your actual physical experience of it, it's very distressing. The analogy of what happened a long time ago is that when we lived in this planet, and this goes again to my origins, this world had basically three levels of consciousness, very, very basic and non-hierarchical. In the first level, you have a physicality with arms and legs and a face, and you do walk with your feet touching the earth. And I'm making a little walking picture on my hand right now. Imagine like little legs are walking on the earth because earth is your battery. And every time you walk left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, you get charged up from your battery. And this is Atlantis or the mythical pristine world. In that pristine world, every step feels like an orgasm. Oh, wonderful, amazing, 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 amazing. Just to walk along, that is what your true birth rate is. Everybody was telepathic. Everybody had orgasms every step they walked. Nobody ever died because death is like a potential that was never explored. So you have these various arrays of timelines. That's actually what I paint. And in all of my paintings, there's a central core timeline. That's eternity and what you want to be experiencing. Then there's all of these profusion of peripheries, like a kaleidoscope. They're all very different, like facets of reality. You wouldn't say one is good or one is bad, but most of them lead to death. And it's like a choose your own adventure novel. If you do these parameters, then you end up on page 82 and you die. And if you do these parameters, then you end up on page 187 and then you die. And what you're trying to do is go through your life as a choose your own adventure novel without dying. Find the way to go through that where you read the page that says, and then you never ever died and you went on to do this. Please turn to page blah, blah, blah in this book over here. It's called continuity of consciousness. And that is how you transform or translate without dying. You might change form. You might move from one book, one narrative structure to another structure, but you do not actually die. Very different than the here where we are now, what is normalized is hitting the membrane of death, which is kind of like a waterfall that you can't pass through, getting discombobulated and disarranged, pulling all the, the, the sweater apart and baking your ball of yarn again, re-knitting the sweater again, like trying these constant permutations. And you're constantly circulating around, getting put through the washing machine again. Nope, didn't work. Didn't game over. Try again. I got that from analogy from uh, one of my lovely people. I've taught this as a class for a long time. So I have a class called Lessons for Full Spectrum Humans. And Pedro is one of my students. And when he would just hear me describing this lifetime after lifetime, he said, oh, it's like a video game. And when you hit the ball of death, then it's like, wah, wah, game over. Try again. And that's very true. It's also very like, Pac-Man doesn't have lives and feelings and everything. I mean, maybe he does, but we have lives and feelings. You know, like even suffering the loss of a cat or an animal, it, it hits you a lot. These aren't just mere abstractions or like I say, pixels on a screen or something like that. The, the, the experiences of this realm, where I am, where you are, where we are right now, although there's so many illusions of this realm, our suffering is very real. And that's a lesson I had to come to terms with as a walk-in came here, I knew that there were very many layers of illusion and I was in an illusory body to a large extent. Like I knew that there was a lot of fakeness here and um, I didn't understand how real the suffering and pain is until like maybe two years after I had been here, 
um, I, I broke my toe, like just my little pinky toe, but I damaged my body enough, like hitting into a table leg. I was like, oh, wait, this body can be damaged. And you know something? This suffering is actually real. And I have to now say that this isn't merely an abstraction or sensations or something that is just the stimulation of my, 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 my cognitive abilities. There's something really happening here. So let me use that as an opportunity to kind of segue into. I want to give you guys empowerment information about how reality is structured. And this has to do with what a lot of people call the matrix. Like I know that movie and that's a really good analogy. Um, but a lot of people talk about the matrix like David Icke, and I feel like they do it in a very disempowering way. No, no offense to people. Like I don't want people to say like I'm calling people out or whatever, just as an example. I think like he focuses in excruciating detail on the things that are being done to humans right now that are against cosmic law and that are very, very wrong, but then does not have the action word on what are we actually going to do in response to it. So some of the things that you hear me describe, you might have heard described by other people like that guy or other people on YouTube. It's a, a, a important to recognize the effed upness of reality. However, other thing is, where is the empowerment to actually do something? And now I'm holding up my lasagna sculpture because that's my role. Like that's what I'm here to do and to teach that I created this lasagna and it was a way for me to not die and you know, continue on in life and to, to rectify the time field. But I also sensed that this is something that can help heal, transform, revolutionize. It can do so much for other people. And so instead of being like, you know, see you suckers, I'm on my cosmic journey, like, bam, I'm out of here. I really made it uh, a goal of mine or a focus of my activity, something that is important for me to accomplish here, to share this. That means like, make it because at first it was just something that was an idea inside of me I need and, and in my DNA something that I was performing like on a biological level I needed to externalize it and make it like a sculpture that I could touch and feel and show to other people but then I learned like that was in the first couple of years that I was here that wasn't enough like it's not enough just to be like you know like here's this weird rainbow thing like people thought maybe it was a lamp or a candle like didn't know what it was and I was not very articulate again like this is very similar. It's like a foreigner. I, I, I have a little trouble articulating in English. Like I do not speak another language, but I have uh, brain damage in my English centers of my brain. So I've had to learn English in order to express myself here. I don't always choose the right word. I'm always stumbling over myself. Um, and some of the concepts that I'm trying to share are um, beyond words and difficult to do. So I used to just make these drawings and sculptures and present them to humanity, like to show it to them. And I thought that it would be more evident, but I didn't understand the layers of the difficulties that are here in communicating. Like, you know, there's Tower of Babel difficulties with our English words, but then there's tons of disturbances on the level of what I would say is the, the inner eye, like pointing to the brow chakra up here, you know, your forehead, that we're supposed to have this beautiful, it's like a gem, you know, that we use to look at the world, and that um, allows us to have clear vision and even a clear vision across time. And in this time and place, there are problems because the third eye has genetic degradation and limitations. That, that's the things that um, yogis of the Far East were dealing with five or 10,000 years ago. Okay, so they developed yoga in response to those inborn genetic limitations. But those guys of that time and Buddha and other famous meditators, they were not dealing with what we are dealing with right now in this moment, which is the chemtrails, the pollutants that are sprayed in the atmosphere, which have an inhibitory effect on the third eye. That's also uh, goes along with the 
chemicals that are in the food and water, the, the ones that are avoid, like the stuff that's sprayed in the air, impossible to avoid. But there are chemicals in food and water that you can avoid or minimize that are also meant to diminish the third eye. The yogis of the Far East didn't face that. Also have now blankets of 5G because there's the Starlink satellite system and pretty much a lot of ground-based 5G. But all of that is like anti being able to see with your third eye. And I'm going to use words now that might be incendiary words, but if your third eye is Christ, this is your Christ chakra or your connection to Christ crystalline consciousness, the crystal in your brain that you look out through and things that harm that crystal, they are against the crystal. They are anti-Christ. That these things that I mentioned, the chemtrails, the pollutions like fluoride, the GMO foods, the 5G and the injections that are currently being put into humanity, those things are all anti-Christ. Living in a world where you're dealing with a daily assaults by Antichrist. But I know that that word in the religious context is taken to be like a demonic man, or like a personification. Think of the personification as the whatever stick figure or the, 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 the effigy. That's a good word. The effigy of the thing that has been trying to prevent you from your empowerment. That that's what this all is. It is entirely 100% a ploy. You are all gods in disguise, or a better way of saying it, this is how I describe it lately. Say so you guys are like Superman, but you think you're Clark Kent because you're being sprayed with kryptonite all day long. All right? That's good, right? Right? Because the chemtrails are like your kryptonite and they're spraying it and you're allergic to it and you're thinking, oh, I feel so weak. Oh, my third eye doesn't work. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. Like even just basic body functions are suffering and struggling under this onslaught. And um, I can say this because I feel it too. As I've been here, let's say for almost 20 years, as the chemtrails have gotten worse, it's gotten more and more difficult for me to connect with others with my third eye. I noticed it in the animal kingdom too. I noticed a hawk in my neighborhood mistaking a statue of a bunny for a real bunny. That should not be happening in the natural world. In the natural world, organisms are telepathic with one another. So this goes back to what is life like in the pristine world of Atlantis or ancient slash concurrent Atlantis? You're telepathic with everything. You're telepathic with not only the other humans, but with the planet itself or herself, all of the other plants and animals and organisms. And back then, or in that context, time language is very hard. It was, it is one of the most fun, cool things to do is like you jam plants. Like I emit this sound, I emit this song and the plants emit this, it's all telepathic, telepathic um, synchronizing for musicality with plants. So we didn't eat plants back then. Now I'm jumping around a lot, I know, but let me jump. Um, back then, or in that context, I should better say, the people that walked on the ground and got the battery charged from the ground, they did not eat the plants that they grew in their beautiful, amazing, ornamental, highly cultivated gardens. What they did was listen to the song of the plants, absorb the energy, the frequency, get it? Our food was frequency food. In this world, you're being assaulted with frequency. The thing that should be your food and should be uplifting you out of your degradation is instead a poison that is hurting you. Again, we'll get to the uh, empowerment part, but I gotta tell you the SHIT, the SHIT part first. Yeah, so that was one level of reality was the beings who are connected to the ground and they don't eat food, they do eat frequency and they also eat light. So you can imagine that that level of being is like being a battery where your one side, your anode or your cathode is connecting to the earth and your other side is connecting to the sun. And I'm also now pointing at my third eye and my forehead because that is your mouth for being able to eat the sun. 
And a big part of my teaching and what I encourage people to do here is to return to being a sun gazer. The chemtrails are completely an assault on this, not only in that they block out the cloud, they make the sunshine go away and make it a cloudy day. It's harder to sun gaze on that, but also the impact that it has when you breathe in those particles, it goes inside of you. It affects your neurology. It affects your functioning of your third eye. It affects your energy field and not just you, anybody who's breathing it in. So, hey, like I'm flying into lasagna, but I'm here getting hosed down with this crapola every day. It's hard for me. I do an extensive detox protocol just to be able to stay mildly sane and healthy. And there are many, many things with my psychic powers that I cannot do right now because as I try to say, I'm down here in the soup with all of you. This is it's like swimming in very muddy water. You, you can't see SHIT, that you do not know what's going on. But what I do is I fly in rainbow lasagna, which is like interdimensional jumping out of the muddy water. And I do get breaths of fresh air. I'm like, let's jump out of here for a second, take a gulp of fresh air, get a little bit of a perspective and then jump back in. And I actually do that. Like I oscillate at a very high rate and I'm constantly jumping in and out of reality. And that is normal for me. But uh, for everyone who's submerged down here, it's really, really difficult. And also we're supposed to be telepathic with one another. And this is supposed to be uh, what we've been developing over the past 20 years. Like this planet right now is cognitively disabled and has, is uh, limited or forgive me for using the word, retarded, left behind, diminished in its cognitive development because of the chemtrails and frequencies that have been perpetrated upon humanity. And that means that you're behind your class of where you need to be. Y'all are supposed to be telepathic right now. No offense to you. I'm, I'm here as a very loving remedial teacher to say, hey, let's learn how to do this. It's not meant to make you feel bad. It's meant to say, look at the things that we are working for. So what we really want to do in this time and place now, the goal is get rid of all of the technology that is really subverting our true superpowers. Right now, we're having this beautiful conversation we are using Zoom in order to do it, like a, a software, a technology, Wi-Fi, electricity, all of these artificialities to do something and that really it's a compensation for what our natural powers should already be able to do. So the goal is to turn off the 5G, but there's other frequencies that are telepathy inhibitors too. Regular power lines carry not only electrons that flow in a wire so they can light up your light bulb or whatever, but they also have an occult or esoteric carrier signal. So there's a lot of things in your world. When you look around with regular eyes, you say, yeah, there's the electrical lines. But when you look with magic eyes, you understand that that is an extensive grid, that what that carrier signal does is it siphons off your natural magic. And you live in cities and in towns surrounded by these overhead wires that that's the real purpose of those wires. It's not by accident. It's like, oops, we didn't need to put that carrier signal on there. We just meant to send you some electrons so you could run your toaster oven in the morning. No, 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 no. They intentionally put the carrier signal on there. And this is, again, this podcast, I can say all of these things. Like, give me, give me free license to go all the way to say these things. Um, yeah, like in your electric company, there's two levels. This is like Harry Potter stuff. There's the regular level, like, yes, we have to go out there and put those electrical wires on the lines. But then there's the esoteric level is, how are we going to program those pulses? Do we program them so that it fits well with human biology? Or do we program it so that it Fs up human biology and makes it harder for people to think, number two, number two, the second one, the second one. Yes, of course, not by accident. They do this on purpose. So now I'm beginning to get to the idea on the topic of who and what is creating and upholding this reality. Because the matrix is kind of like saying, 
nothing is real. You're just in a computer simulation. Like that was what that movie was, that his real body was somewhere else, but this was supposed to be a fake body. But in my presentation here, I'm trying to say you have two equally real bodies, that your presence, let's say Atlantis is quote unquote outside of the matrix. But in that movie, outside of the matrix, things were not perfect there either. They struggled profoundly with starvation and abuse and things like that. In Atlantis or this pristine world that was pristine, it's being invaded. It was invaded. They're putting up an artificial Merkaba. A Merkaba is a star tetrahedron for interdimensional portaling. I call it a crap time machine. Like a real Merkaba is supposed to be perfectly um, calibrated, like clockwork, like the most amazing polygon in the entire world. That's what a naturally occurring polygon is. But this particular civilization, they create crap time machines and they don't care. Like they go around smashing planets all the time. They smash the planet that's currently the asteroid belt, you know, between Mars and Jupiter. There is a backstory to not only your solar system, but the entire galaxy. Mm -hmm. The planetary invasion that's going on here in your world is part of a much larger context. I don't use the word war for this reason. It's not because I'm some kind of a peacemaker. I'm like, la, 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 let's sing songs and be fine. Like, I'm that, but I'm a badass. But the reason why I don't call it a war is because all of these things that are going on with technology across time, across dimensions, and on a grand scale, they are against cosmic law. And cosmic law is literally like, you know how you have a biological law. You have to breathe to stay alive. You have to have blood inside of you to stay alive. If you break those laws, like you get bitch slapped by the cosmos, you don't get to be alive anymore. Cosmic law is the same thing. There are supposed to be foundation structures that are upheld so that life can be upheld. And if you mess with them enough or degrade them enough, life cannot be upheld. And it's not just some arbitrary thing like, oh, it's more convenient for me if this is shaped like this and I like this more like this. Like, no, there's very real questions of right and wrong, or let's say the music is in tune or the music is not in tune. And you can make artistic choices within the music that's in tune, but you can't just like smash the keyboard or play heavy metal music and pretend that it's a symphony. Like this is, that's not what is allowed. Um, the things that are going on in Atlantis in terms of destabilization, the crap time machine, that's basically what, there's a time not, maybe that's a good way of saying it. The events that, the, the linear way of saying it is, uh, there was a pristine world of beautiful light eaters here on the planet. And I didn't even tell you about level two and level three of those light eaters, but we'll get to that. But that beautiful world was invaded by technology users who came here and somehow disrupted our natural genetic flow and our reality creation mechanism and created this crap time machine that created like a knot or a mishmash. And what we're experiencing right now in this moment is a part of that knotted mishmash of time. But far from being disempowered and saying like, ooh, like I'm just like tumbling through a waterfall and I don't know which end is up and I am so after like I'm just powerless. Instead of being like that, I am coming to give some empowering information about what you can actually do that helps you to rectify the entire situation. The first thing is like we, all of us that are here now were in or are in Atlantis or in that concurrent reality. There's a trauma that is going on there, but this does not have to be the um, re redoing of the same trauma. Like you don't have to do a time loop that what in life, if you have ever had a trauma, like something you had a car accident or an attack or anything, it tends to create the presumption that it will happen again. So it, you can have you can have that. You can be like, yep, last time I was in a car, it smashed. And then I went in a car again, it smashed again or bicycle or whatever. Or 
you can have the corrective experience. You can say, last time I was in the car, snatched, but this time I got in the car and we drove safely to our destination. That is my goal in being here as a flying rainbow lasagna to speak to the people of this time and place. In this other pristine world, the car crashed. There was admittedly a horrible trauma. And you guys can see my face. I don't know if your audio, you, you, your audience is an audio audience, but I make a real face of that trauma. I experienced it, you experienced it. It was devastating or it is about to be devastating. It is devastation is a more accurate time, time language term. It is devastation. And I acknowledge that because what we are experiencing here is the response to that. People are very afraid afraid of death, afraid of cataclysm, afraid of time looping. I know so many very awake people. When I talk to them about things, they're like, oh my God, like, are they going to reset reality? Are we going to go through another time loop? What's going to happen? It's this set. And that's when I say you're in a time conflict. The time conflict means that someone who is not advanced being like a very um, unadvanced, um, immature uh, or group civilization being um, has gained the tools to be able to do things like run time in reverse, erase time, overlay time. Like I call it this, I call it photoshopping time because you guys know what Photoshop is like. Like you take a picture and you might not look that good, but you put it into Photoshop and you can add a layer that just takes away that ugly thing that you don't want to be there. So the beings that have been running and controlling the matrix here, that got you guys all inserted and make you think that you're Clark Kent and that spray you down with kryptonite to keep you in this disempowered state. Um, those those guys, oh my goodness, hold, hold on a second. I need to drink a sip of water and then my brain catch up with my mouth. Hold on one second. Oh, no, please. Yeah, I mean, again, we're just soaking it all in. I feel like this is right at home here on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast where you're not crazy to us, Aurora. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for that affirmation. And if and I could jump in real quick. No, it's as I said, jump, 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 jump. Yeah, because Tara and I have been discussing a lot lately this movement towards the real cycle of time, right? Jose Argales is an author whose book I was reading, Time in the Technosphere. You're aware of it? I awesome. love his work. Yes. So you're right in tune with everything. So you probably know exactly what I'm going to say. But his book, Time and the Technosphere, has really, you know, elaborated on a lot of this stuff for us. And, and Tara and I have been trying to live our kind of daily lives as best as we can in that Mayan calendar rather than the Julian or the Gregorian uh, today is the 12th day of the crystal moon month. For those who uh, are keeping track, I'm sure this episode will come out in the cosmic moon month. But uh, yeah, it's the crystal moon month when this episode is being recorded. But yeah, so we're a little up to speed on some of that. But when you mention frequency, Jose Argoles describes frequency and time as like equivalent to synchronization and all sort of mixed together. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because. Absolutely. I, I really, uh, oh, I'm sorry. My dog is. That's okay. So it's my, I, when I say I love Jose Arguelles, very excellent scholar. It's not a complete endorsement of him as a person or 100% his work. Please read with discernment. What I appreciated very much about his scholarly work is the presentation of, like you described, cycles of time. The, I, and this is similar to what I say in terms of overlays, who you are now and who you were in a far distant past. The most accurate way to say it is that each one of us 
is like a mosaic that you need to expand your identity or redefine the boundaries of your identity as you are Mark and you are Tara and I am Aurora, but I have a multifaceted self where I have other facets of self that might be in the far distant past or the far distant future and that you guys do too. And that we actually have a concurrent moment happening right now where perhaps we were um, Neanderthals or something like that sitting around a campfire and we were in a completely different body, completely different situation, but we talked about similar concepts. And perhaps we are also in the far distant future in a completely technological situation or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm using these as the most divergent examples I possibly can. And we are here now in this moment. So a better way of saying it is, we are or were in an ancient, pristine world that we know is Atlantis now. And we are having this conversation there. And we are talking about the planetary invasion and the perils that we face in that time, place, context. And we are also talking about the perils that we face here now. And the information that we share is this empowerment information that allows us to untie or rectify the whole entire time knot way that everything got tied up wrong. And so with with Arguelles' work, he talks about galactic civilization accurately, and he portrays well the idea of cycles of time. And I'm trying to portray to you how that, those cycles and some of those irresponsible civilizations have weaponized time cycles. So that instead of um, progressing, you know, you're supposed to be like a spiral, like ever progressing, instead of running on a hamster wheel, merely going in a circle. And that's the difference between what humanity has been facing up to this point and what you now get to have access to. So something, for example, like the flower of life and the Merkaba. The Merkaba is a star tetrahedron shape that does come to us as information from that civilization known as Atlantis. And it's been held in trust so that it can come to us here and be here in this time so that we can know about it. And it, it there's a, a natural way to perform that with your own body and that has its own um you know activities and everything and then of course they tried to create this technological way of doing that doing it that was an aberration but the idea is to be able to use a merkaba to travel responsibly you can use it to protect yourself you can use it like an immune system like this was also the basics of tying your shoes in atlantis and then also so that's like saying i'm i'm training at the gym running on the treadmill and then once my muscles are up to speed then I am able to get off the treadmill and actually use my Merkaba to travel interdimensionally, to go places with it. And so that, that's the, 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 the third thing is the thing that the information they didn't want anyone here now to know about. So I share information like that. And also the flying rainbow lasagna is a tool for interdimensional travel. And what does that look like? Because I say all the time, like I'm an interdimensional traveler, but I do not travel in a clank clank metal spaceship don't advocate for that. And I would say be super skeptical of those societies because if you are not advanced enough to get off the surface of your planet with your own wings, you're technically not advanced enough to join the cosmic band or jam with anyone, all right? So if they need metal wings to fly over here, they are not good musicians. Let me take this to segue back to in the pristine world or Atlantis, whatever we're calling it, some people walked on the earth and they ate pure light. And when you did that for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands having wonderful adventures and never dying and having the most amazing friendship networks is the only way I can say it. Like if you live for thousands of years in this world where nobody dies and everybody is super cool and a genius and you know, like as fit as an Olympian, you make a lot of wonderful friends. Yes, seriously, that's you in another world. You just don't know it. 
And when the time comes to ascend, like this has to do with what we are doing right now. We are all ascending. Our planet is ascending. Ascension is this natural translation event that happens when you eat enough light so that you no longer have to have your two feet planted like batteries stuck to the surface of the planet, that you now have enough light so that you can essentially break contact, but you still have to have contact with the star. So you're still connected to the sun, but you have enough energy to be able to then circulate around the planet. And now I'm making a motion like with one fist circling the other. That was like level two or the next level of society in this pristine ancient concurrent world. It's ascension. You ascend from the density. We had and have a dense body because I don't want you guys to think that um, my body fell over and I flew free as a spirit. No, no, no. That is what happens here in this time and place, the best you can do. But when you fix up your DNA, you can do much better. What you can do is transform that body by revving it up, rev, 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 rev up the matter until it's back to the speed of light. And that process of revving up in the ancient world or concurrent world, it was a whole beautiful um, like um, life review process. Like you go to this special place where you're going to walk up this to this convergence point and you're going to you know sit on a mountain and have this trans transformation. But on your journey, you re-meet all of these people that you knew from your journey of thousands of years living on the planet. And it is a celebration of everything that you've done. It's the antithesis of death. First of all, you're not going anywhere. You're not it's like, oh, because when my cat died, I missed her so much. She was gone. I couldn't hug her or interact with her at all. It's not like that. When you ascend, you are literally part of a civilization that is constantly circulating around the planet because you can't be out of light. You can't be in the darkness of the night. You have to always chase the sun and follow the sun. So you can fly and hover and eat light, but you cannot land. And this relates now to we are going through ascension transformation experience right now. We are transforming from ground dwellers and food eaters into light eaters, and then from light eaters into hoverers. And then the third stage, well, uh, you know, we're going to up uh, in the ancient world or concurrent world. Once you live for hundreds of thousands of years as this floating society, kind of like, um, you know, Lando Calrissian or something like that. Like you live in the sky, you live in the sky, you live in the sky. The, the dancing that you do under your own power, under your own wings in the sky, fueled by nothing but pure light. It's this amazing acrobatics. Like you might fly across the sky into someone else's arms and then they bounce off of you and fly to someone else. It's a, it's a, a moving sculpture at all times. And those dance movements create the time events that are happening on Earth's surface, on the planetary surface, I should say, instead. So your dance affects the people that are watching you dance. You see them dance in the sky, and their dance is creating your reality. That music is part of creating the reality bubble on the surface of the planet. And when that band is cohesive enough, and your music is tight enough, you've got your chops together, you are ready to then disengage from having to be tethered to this sun and you can travel on the entire stellar network. And that's where I come from. I come from a band that travels on the entire stellar network all over the effing place. And we have artistic projects, but we also have a lot of um, meaningful projects. I, I struggle for the right word, um, not political, but meaningful basically in terms of cosmic law enforcement, because freedom is a totality state. So if you have this entire cosmic structure 
it's a structure of time and dimensionality and consciousness. And you're like, it's free. Energy can flow anywhere it wants to throughout unimpeded throughout this whole structure, except this little planet over here. This little planet over here is like a whatever, you know, Suckville, Roach Motel, Roach is checking, but they don't check out. And then there's no freedom there. And that's not freedom. That affects the totality of the entire state. And it really, you get a backlog. And right now what we do have is a lot of consciousness backlog or underflow or overflow. Like imagine having clots or problems in your body. There's time problems. There are blood clots in the flow of time, of consciousness that cannot move where it needs to move. So human beings here in this time and place have been very badly victimized in terms of being entrapped in the Roach Motel, circulating around in various incarnations, but never spiraling out, running on the hamster wheel, running, running, running in a circle, but never getting out. So the most um, virtuoso use of the Merkaba is how do you jump off the hamster wheel and actually get out of this dimension or dimensionality and flying rainbow lasagna is another tool for vibrating out of this dimension but here's more there's more to it it doesn't necessarily mean you permanently leave like you could be like thanks see you suckers i hate this world i'm gonna flying rainbow lasagna on out of here like the ultimate escape hatch or whatever it's not too my experience is not really like that even though of course you could think of it like that but what i think of as portions of myself vibrate out of this reality and then vibrate back in. And the places that they vibrate to can be a million years in the future, a million years in the past or in another dimension, but I'm still have the a physical anchor and physicality here. But then sometimes my physicality might look different. Like one time, literally, I was in my backyard doing my flying rainbow lasagna dance. And this was when I lived in Woodstock years ago. And a friend, fellow artist came by. They were going to meet me in the afternoon. I'm like, I'm sitting right here in the middle. They came. They looked through my whole backyard, looked right at me, looked right past me, and then turned around to go. They didn't even see me or know that I was there. And then I had to stop my dance. Be like, yo, hey, man, I'm right here. And it's like, oh, I can see you. So that is one example of how I would say, I felt my presence sitting in the chair. I'm watching this guy right there. He didn't see or perceive me. So these are levels of perception. And in joining galactic society and becoming free, like free to really travel on these stellar networks and everything like that, not in a clank clank spaceship, you recognize that so much of the travel has to do with perception and cognitive ability. So if you want to keep someone trapped, what you do is you blind them and take away their cognitive ability. Make it so that they cannot understand you. Un-understand them or take away your understandingness of how to fly, how to get, how to go, how what you need to do. So my job, my self, self-employed job here, what I want to do for, for people, for humans, is to say, here are the thought structures that you need to be able to get out of these levels of diminished reality. That's what I mean by exit the matrix. To me, I don't see you as slingshotting off of the surface of the planet or um, melting away, like you know, evanescing away somehow and not being here, but becoming empowered in reality. Like when the people ascended from the surface of the planet to become hoverers, like you know, living in the in the castle in the sky in the clouds, um, they didn't go nowheresville, they went somewheresville. Their beingness also changed into a less dense realm, less dense form. And so let's talk now about becoming a light eater now. Many people right now practice light eating. I am like a, you know how there's cars that do gasoline and electricity? I am like one of those. I'm a hybrid vehicle in that I have come here. I've always been a light eater. But when I first came into this body in 2001, I didn't eat physical food. I just tried to eat light for like a couple of weeks. And I did not know 
why that did not work with my body. Because I thought, mm, 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 like simple snaps, oh, simplicity, dusting my hands off, going to go down there, going to teach them flying rainbow lasagna, going to eat a bunch of light. I did not understand about any of this or about the limitations of physicality. That was my hard landing. That I was like, why does my body feel so weak? Why is my body getting so small? Why is this and that? How come I can't do the stuff I usually do? Because I had to learn. You got to augment your light with solidified light. I, know I don't have a snack here, but you know, like an apple, hamburger or something, a peanut butter and jelly. So one of the thought structures that I help humans to bridge between here and what they will become has, has to do with light and food. That seriously, all of the food that we're eating right now is light. It has always been light, but it has been light that has come through a conversation that a tree has with the sun for a year. So the tree has a conversation with the sun for a year and it makes an orange or an apple and then you eat that conversation. You need the intermediary. And trees are not a technology, but they're an intermediary. So the whole idea is you're not supposed to have to have intermediaries or anything else that is needed to sustain you. When you are walking on the surface of your world, you need to have other things and other organisms to sustain you, including the sun. But when you have accreted enough light, that means like you, you blobbed enough light together into you and hugged it into your being and you became a big giant ball of light, then that was enough eating for you. It is very analogous to the transformative um, of a, a, a caterpillar into pupae into butterfly. This life cycle in biology, what happens is the caterpillar is the, the linear two-dimensional form. It can only walk on the surface of a leaf. During that time of its life, it doesn't see and sense very well. It eats a lot of physical stuff and a lot of physical protein. All of the protein that that animal will consume is consumed in that form when it transform, goes into pupil stage and it goes into chrysalis and it goes into uh, you know becoming an adult and it emerges, it does not eat leaves anymore, clearly. You no know one cares about the butterfly that lands on my lettuce leaves because the butterflies do not eat the lettuce leaves. The caterpillars, however, those horrible, horrible caterpillars eat the lettuce leaves. But the protein that the caterpillars ate is what makes it possible for the butterflies to actually uh, procreate, that they don't eat protein in their butterfly form, but they ate it in their caterpillar form. That is like what we are doing right now. So we are eating light. And if the light comes in the form of energy from the sun, or if the light comes in the form of an orange or a cow, whatever, something translated that light into physicality so that you could then eat it and put it in your mouth, but it's still light. And when you eat enough light at a certain point, you will not have to eat more. So uh, uh, you become like um, a perpetual motion machine or a self-generating engine with no friction and no loss. And that is actually your true state. Like you, and when you do that, so how do you hover? How, how do you get off the surface of a planet and hover and live in that way? You create a microclimate around you. And this is how experts do star travel. You don't have to have, bring your, be sure to bring your breathing oxygen tanks with you while you're flying to Mars. Like, no, you don't do that. What you have is an energy field around you that is your protective and nourishing energy field. And it is also a shield. It is a shield that protects you from the frequencies that are weaponized. So right now, you, me, everyone who's here, we are like developing, might not have a perfect energy shield yet. It is very effing unfair that in this moment of your development, being hacked away at like chomp, 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 something keeps on taking, taking bites out of your armor, even as you are trying to develop your armor. That's the challenges of all of the uh, in inhibitors that are here, all of the you know the ways things are weaponized to, to try to stop you on your journey. So you can def you can definitely do it, 
It just takes an enormous amount of focus and willpower. But once you get up to speed, quote unquote, it's like, you know, if you're on your bicycle and you're going like very slow, it's very wibbly wobbly. It's easy for someone to push you over. But if you have a lot of momentum in your bicycle wheels, then you zip on down and nothing can push you over. That's what it is like when we have momentum in our energy centers. Energy centers are called chakras and they run just like bicycle wheels. And you want them to be going like and keep going perpetual motion machine, no friction. And when you get up to speed, like you're like, I'm at 25 miles per hour, then nothing can harm you. Nothing can get through your energy field. But the challenge is getting up to speed. So what we are like the empower that can get to empowerment, but also I'm sure you have many, many questions and everything, but the empowerment are what are the activities that we can do here now in order to get up to speed and everything about what I advocate for does not require an external savior. Like there are many people that are teaching, like maybe friendly aliens will fly in or maybe something external to us will happen. I am all about the inner spark that you get your inner bicycle momentum going fast enough so that you can um, transcend and heal all of this stuff. And when I say transcend and heal, I also mean like massively kick ass. Like if I got my bicycle wheels going, the very first thing I would do is like smash down the Starlink satellites. I would do that like my batting cage practice. I'd be like, womp, womp, womp. Like who wants to see a ding or womp? Like hit that satellite out of the way. You know, with psychic powers, this is what I'm talking about. Or any of the things like um, fluoride, bust apart the fluoride towers, any of these things. And that's just on the first day of getting our psychic powers. Then it's time to really clean house. This is what I'm advocating for. So it's a different idea of empowerment, but the basics are you contain this as innate potentials inside of you have been artificially inhibited. And if we just remove those inhibitors, then there's a very, very clear path towards your profound self-empowerment to the point of being able to fly with that technology. Wow. I'm sitting here just trying to process it all. My my initial thought is to ask you about plant medicine because something that I'm really an advocate for is cannabis and and I've studied shamanism and, and all these different indigenous cultures and something like ayahuasca, for example, where you have the the lore of these tribes finding out of the millions of diverse plants in the Amazon, they find the two that combine to create this healing experience. And when you ask these people who live in the forest, what do they say? Well, our spirit guides told us, our you know gods told us, the you know beings that take care of this forest told us this. So my question is, what what do you think about plant medicine? Is it a crutch? You know, can we, because you, you mentioned there's no saviors, right? Is it just that kind of bridge to the next step? And is that why these plants grow here on earth to kind of pull us from the, you know, battery pack walking along the earth? Beautiful question. I will say first up that I am a huge advocate for cannabis it's used in everything as a plant and as a foundation for society. Like if you're going to monocrop and do an industrialized society, do it with cannabis. That's the, really the only one that I would advocate or have, uh, advocate for. And in my own health, because I have a lot of brain damage and I did explore the human medical system and all of its ridiculousnesses. That was its whole own ed- education there and pharmaceuticals. And I learned all about that too. But I found that those were all, those were diminishment chemicals and inhibitors in their own sense, even though they are prescribed by doctors. CBD cannabis for me was transformative. And I use tinctures and I inhale it, but I also do a lot with raw juice. 
So people do not necessarily know that if this is why I advocate for it, like for the foundation of your society, you'll grow cannabis as a plant. Yes, you can use it for seeds and oil. You can make this, uh, you know, hempcrete out of it, use it for fibers. And if you just make that the basis of your diet, it becomes like a, a superfood. Like you juice the leaves and drink it as you would like whatever with, with you know, I put some carrots and some apples and some ginger in there, make it taste good. And you can also, you can take the flowers that have you know the, the concentration of medicine in there and you can eat them raw. You can put them into smoothies. So I've been able to be off of pharmaceuticals and their debilitating, you know, side effects and everything like that from focusing on growing my own garden, drinking lots of raw juice, ingesting a lot of raw cannabis. And I'm a huge advocate for it being in our diet, especially in the raw form. I don't say that any of these substances are crutches in a negative way, because the truth is we are under assault. In every way, there are all of these inhibitors that are meant to make us be disabled, dumb, dumber, or let, let's say less abled, less intelligent, less focused, less divine. And I absolutely do believe that some of these particular plants or molecular structures are here to help us and wake us up. But now I have to have the asterisk yellow warning tag that is listed on all of that of beware the lower astral. Okay, everyone. So if I was going to say like, hey, like check, here's a car is full of gas. Go check out, go around town, tool around town. I would tell you, don't go in that neighborhood. It's really bad. It's full of like crackheads and prostitutes and addicts. They're going to steal your wallet and take your rims off your car. Like that's what I'm trying to say. The lower astral is the bad side of town. And the problem with taking a lot of plant medicines is that mostly that's where they are propelling people towards. So most people are not slingshotting way, way, way on high up to the more abstract realms. Most people, when I say lower astral, it is the realm of envisionment imaginings where you might see a face with two eyes, like, you know, the, the personification level, the creature level, not necessarily a level of pure abstraction, like you see colors and shapes and forms that move or a, a level of geometry or that level of kaleidoscope that, and that I feel that's a very pure level of abstract information, but that these other levels are presided over by astral mafiosos, you got it? So there's a lot of, I'm not a technology user and I'm not from that zone of crappiness in the cosmos, but there's a lot of people that are from that zone of crappiness and they love using technology and they love using it to harm and be impact bully they use it to bully others so basically the lower astral is full of these very immature technology using society dwellers not society they're not so they're not social they're not civilized they're organizational networks they're cosmic crime syndicates that's the best way i can say it and they rule over that zone that neighborhood and it's even very hard to get to the better neighborhoods because they've got you kind of encircled so you, if you take these augmenters, these things that turn up the volume on your, on your third eye, then it is likely that you will uh, in, uh, meet these people that be the bullies, meet the bullies, and that it's hard to deal with. And that sometimes the bullies present themselves as friends, you don't know it. Sometimes they give you false information and pretend that it's really true. Um, it's, it's a very fraught world to navigate, especially if you don't know who's a friend or how to determine a love signature. So when I do psychic work or telepathic work, here are some things that I require from whoever is my conversational partner. The first thing is an individuation signal because it's not cool to be like, I'm just some random anonymous thing. Like if someone calls you on your phone, you don't be like, it's anonymous. Like, what's your number? Who are you? And then the next thing, so it's your individuation. But then the next thing is 
is there a love signature? And I'm pointing to like my heart inside of my chest, but this is not romantic love. It's the type of love that for me is like, it's a real frequency food and I only feel it from real things. Real is in air quotes, like substantive, real creatures that have a soul. I feel it from my dog, she probably went to go sleep somewhere. I feel it from my dog and from real true loving friends and trees. And um, I don't feel it from technology or AI or artificial things. And there's a lot of artificial things out there. That's what I'm trying to say. A lot of the bullies, they are not um, naturally occurring. Like I, I hope I'm portraying this properly. Basically in the cosmos, the beings that are worthy and that you want to interact with are the natural consciousnesses that don't have to use some kind of technology like metal wings to fly somewhere. That's the only good musicians out there. And then the ones that are the bullies, they need technology and they love to rub your nose in the dirt and everything like that. Those are the technology users and whatever. You don't even have to get into all of their, their problems and why they're so stupid and mean and harsh and everything like that. But it's like, yeah, they feel bad about themselves and they've got problems. It's like, it's just like psychoanalyzing the bully on the playground. Like they have problems at home and they don't like themselves and they're fat and that's why they do this, but it doesn't make it okay for them to do this to you. And it's high time for the lunch lady or some hall monitor to be like, no, there's no more of this allowed on the playground. And that's very much what my activity here on this planet is like. So in terms of how does, if you, okay, also, so watch out for the lower astral and also watch out for people who have gone to the lower astral, picked up a bunch of parasites, which are mind parasites and mind parasites are unhealthy thought structures and then come back and quote unquote teach those mind parasites to others. It's like indoctrination and quote unquote activations. So you got to understand in this world where you're fighting this frequency struggle, anything that's cool and good, they're going to piss and shit all over and try to make it bad. So the ayahuasca and other stuff might've started out as a very pure frequency tool. And then many, many people have gone and they have connected themselves to um, highly parasitically infested shamanistic lineages. Got to understand just because it's shamanistic doesn't mean it's clean. Just because it's been going on hundred years in Peru doesn't mean it's good. They do a lot of psychic warfare. That's all mafioso stuff. I don't do any of that stuff. That's why, like, you guys got to understand. I'm like such a goody two-shoes. I do not go to bad neighborhoods and like do fisticuffs with the mafiosos. But these the shamans do, all right? So they're like tussling on that level. Because I'm more like, I want to play a beautiful violin. I'm like, no, no, like, I don't, I don't want to punch you. Like, I want to play a violin. Um, so I'm looking for a different type of people. But that's the type of people that you'll find at that level. And then the idea structures that, or that worldview that those mafiosos will give to you benefits the mafiosos and disbenefits you or disempowers you. So they might tell you like, hey, if you want this, you're gonna have to go through me. It's not truthful, not truthful in terms of the cosmic structure, but it benefits them and it's a lie and it disempowers you. And so then you might always think, oh, if I wanna get blah, blah, blah done, I have to talk to blah, blah, blah spirit or whatever. So um, in terms of having a positive, how do you protect yourself from all of this? Be aware that this type of chicanery is going on. Put up America Bot. If you're going to do any kind of work at all, like before I do my flying rainbow lasagna work, it means like, like that's like you're in a, a vulnerable creative state. So it's like right now I'm speaking to you from my art studio where this room is. Before I do my artwork, you know, I come in my door and I close and I lock the door so that no one's going to come in when I'm like in my zone. I'm in my vulnerable creative state. I don't want people like knocking on my door and I don't want someone to just come in and pick up a paintbrush and just start painting on my painting. That is the purpose of Merkabah. It is a protective energy field and an immune system. 
so that you can actually focus on your creative activity without having all of this outward crapola affecting your creativity. So it's like your room or your creative space it should be the place where you're growing, you're gestating your project and it should be your thing and not something that someone else is doing and impacting on. So if you want to do some safe psychic travel, I'm giving you a car, I would say like, put on your seatbelt, put on your Merkaba. And then I would also say Merkaba has a lot to do with intention. So as you are activating your Merkaba, you have to program it. I stumble over that word because I'm not a transhumanist, but you have to imbue it with intention. Just like if you use crystals, you have to imbue it with intention. Just like if you use a USB hard drive, you have to imbue it with intention of what you want to do with it. So with your Merkaba, you program it or put intention into it of, I want this to do this. I want it to perform this activity for this purpose for this. So if you're like, okay, I'm going to pick some molecular rocket fuel and blast off into the higher dimensional space, put the Merkaba around you. I have a video that shows how to do this visualization. There are other teachers. There are other pictures where you can see it. It's not secret information at all, but it's something you have to practice. Like Mozart's music is not a secret, but for you to play it with dexterity, you have to practice it. So the Merkaba is a practice that you do every day. And when you are a virtuoso at, at this, then it is better, easier, safer for you to go in bad neighborhoods and do that type of stuff. All right. But then also you should do parasite cleanses, just like you do for your physical body. You should clean out the energy body. And my stuff has been secondary because I have brain damage and I have seizures and I'm not allowed to play with things like, you know, like augmenting and um, LSD and mushrooms and things like that. I, I have to take everything that like prevents seizures. So I've not been allowed to play with those things, but I've been around a lot of people who have and no offense to them if any of them are watching or whatever, but I've, I noticed that they had parasite um, thought structures that were things that were untruthful thoughts or viewpoints that they had picked up from their tripping. And that it wasn't necessarily something that was healthy and it was definitely affecting what they did after the trip. And you want your trips to be something that gives you access to your own higher self, messages and guidance from that, not messages and guidance from bullies or interlopers or anyone else who wants to like hijack your specialness and what you are. And I kind of feel like the whole festival, new age, ayahuasca, facilitation movement is getting hijacked by these egotistical mind parasites, the people who are not really teaching the freedom of how do you get beyond this level of reality? How do you get out of this level of reality? I think like they're just teaching you how to run on the hamster wheel some more, but I, I, I know I will teach you how to get out of reality. And also, I know you have a question too. I want, well, I want to tell you more about like, even what, what is it? You have a, an energy budget that makes reality. It's your money, but someone else is spending it for you. Like, we'll, we'll get onto that. But I know you have questions. I can see them on your face. Yeah, I've always been a firm believer in the Akasha. And like these books behind me, I'm a firm believer that even if I haven't read every word in every book, there's an energetic signature that's carried with them that has a residual effect on me. And yeah, I mean, the totality of that really just resonates with the totality of what you're saying. You mentioned Akasha. Akasha, as it is being presented, the Lords of Karma and the way that people talk about it here now is only one layer. But they're really only talking about the overlay of who you became when you got submerged here after the genetic degradation. But a true reading of your life and a true Akashic reading would include 
who you are into the pristine world that I was describing, where you become a light eater and then eventually jump off the surface of the planet. So even the idea of life assessment and looking at your Akashic records, if you're only looking at the stuff that happens submerged in this totally distorted reality, that's not the full picture. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I resonate with that. I want to get into light eating a little bit deeper. Uh, Obviously you've explained, you know, everything is light. So when we're building up our Merkaba, we have to have a foundation of health. We have to have a, a source of light that's constantly, just like you said, you have to charge up your car. You got to charge up, you know, your batteries. It's so funny. We were just talking to Tommy Chong coincidentally, <laughs> and he's such a spiritual guy. And he was saying literally the same thing. He was like, hey, when you wake up in the morning, fill yourself up with God. You know, just like I fill my you know Tesla up with electricity. Not, not me. Tommy Chong has a Tesla. I don't have a Tesla, folks. I don't have a Tesla either. <laughs> but, but, you know, maybe that's where that came from. I'm sorry. But yeah, Tommy said the same thing. And I, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I feel like I've been disarmed here, Aurora. You're very, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm speechless. I really am excited to keep learning because this is, but please explain um, maybe a little bit more practically um, how people can maintain their light body. Yes. Thank you for that. And I don't want to steamroller over Tarek because he had that question or whatever. I would have escaped it. Okay. All right. Um, the first part of light eating is understanding your inner eye or where I'm touching, you know, kind of up above my eyebrows and my forehead. It's like a tendril that reaches out. I don't know if you guys know that movie, Donnie Darko, but I love that movie. I know it does have some violence in it, but in that movie, his tendril reaches out from the center of his chest, but that's, everything except the placement on the body. I envision this very clear crystalline tendril reaching out from my forehead and it reminds me of an elephant's trunk, like it is very prehensile and it is sensory. So it can reach out to any place across time, space, and dimensions. And whatever it touches on, it- Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.